Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. We're continuing in our study of Ephesians uh, this week. Um, as we get into that, we're actually looking at a prayer this morning, and I don't know about you or what you've witnessed, but I, I've noticed something happening in our culture and our society that's become very visceral around this very simple thing of prayer. You know, uh, someone will say, uh, you know, well, our, we need to give our thoughts and prayers, and then there's kind of this visceral reaction against that statement to say, we need to do more than pray, or praying's not changing anything, or prayers, you know, and, and so people get a visceral reaction to this idea of prayer today, and I, and I understand that. They, people want action, they don't want just prayer, they wanna, they wanna see something done, they wanna see something change, and they, but I would also say that there's an assumption underlying that too, right? And, and as a Christian, I hear these, uh, this kind of visceral reaction against prayer, which even some Christians have even called prayer shaming, like you're being shamed because you offer up prayers for what's happening in the world or what's happening in society. But I also would understand, I would expect this from a secular humanistic society, they don't, the, the secular world does not believe in the power of prayer, does not believe that prayer changes things. And if prayer, if you don't believe prayer changes anything, you're naturally gonna reject prayer and say, we've gotta change things, we've gotta do something. And I get the frustration, I understand the frustration, but at the same time, I think we miss something, we assume that prayer doesn't change things because we assume that prayer's gotta do something uh, out there externally, but I would suggest to you that prayer does change things. And it's interesting that Paul ends this portion of the letter, this is actually the first half, first three chapters, he ends with this prayer. It's, very, it's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. And I would say that prayer does change things. And, and if, if you don't believe me, let me just, just give you a little psychology lesson this morning. So when you and I think and we believe and we, we have thoughts, we have feelings, we have beliefs, and all these things connect together actually in our own psyche, in our own world. We are a whole person, body, mind, spirit. Uh, we are a whole person. But if you look at the way we think and the way that leads to our behavior, all these things are connected. So our beliefs, if we can bring up that diagram, there are beliefs influence the way we think. Our thoughts influence the way we feel. 
Our feelings and emotions then move us and drive us to behave in certain ways, which then we experience the outcomes of those behaviors and results, and then that may reinforce our beliefs, or it may say, hey, we've got to believe something different, right? And so this cycle actually can go either way. We can have thoughts that influence beliefs. We can have emotions that influence thoughts. All these things go together. They're all connected, and this is all connected in here. So you can't, if you want to change behavior, you could actually do, start by changing beliefs. Or you could start by changing thoughts. Or you could start by looking at your emotions, right? So all those things, by changing those parts of our lives, would actually potentially change our behavior. So what we want to see in the world, right, is change behavior. But you can't just change people externally. Have you noticed that? You, you can't just make a law and, and, and legislate change. Did you ever notice that? Like, did you know they passed a law a couple weeks ago about not using your cell phone in the car here in? <laughs> did you notice that? How many people are aware of that law here in Seattle? I think it's all the whole state, right? So, and have you noticed a change in behavior? No, no, I see people still on their cell phones. I was on it last night, Google Maps, I, I confess, you know, I'm like trying to Google Map to get around the city. I'm still a, new, a newbie, so I'm trying to figure it out, right? So I'm thinking about all these things, and so we, we can put a law in place, and we can have that great, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have laws. We should have laws. We should change things in society. We should have boundaries and structures and so forth. But what I'm saying is that people don't really change until you change some other things in their lives. You can't just change behavior without changing thoughts and beliefs and emotions, right? And it's interesting because Paul's prayer that ends the first three chapters. We're gonna to get to a lot of practical stuff and application in the second three chapters of the book of Ephesians, but he, he actually starts with a prayer. But I love what C.S. Lewis taught about prayer. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change, listen, this, doesn't change God. Who does it change? It changes me. My beliefs, my thoughts, my feelings, hopefully my behaviors, right? So prayer does change things, but it's an inside-out job. It's an inside job that prayer works in. And I think we need to be, that's the way I see God working, is God is an inside-out God, a God who changes us from the inside out, because even Jesus, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and you look at Jesus' teaching and he always goes for the heart of the matter. He, doesn't, he talks about the law, but he says, really, go to the heart of this. Go to the inner person on this law. Don't just try and adhere to this external law. Look deep within your own heart and see what needs to change there, and then follow the law. So he doesn't say, he says the same thing, that it's an inside-out job. We have to start from the inside out. And that's exactly what Paul prays. Paul's prayer this morning, he begins, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? Where is it? What does it say? In your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in where? Your mind? No, in your hearts through faith. Paul's prayer is that you and I, that the Christian world, that all families, all generations, all nations is what he's including in this prayer. He's saying, I want you all to be strengthened in your inner being, in your inner spirit, in the inside of who you are. He's saying that's where it needs to start. That's where any change has got to start and any prayer has got to be offered. 
And so he's saying, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being, in your inner spirit. Now I think about this and I think about one of the things that I see happening in my own life and I would say within our own society is that we neglect the spiritual. We neglect the inner being in the, you know, we're, we're kind of become human doings. We've forgotten that God created us as human beings. And so this inner being rather than inner doing, right? And, but we become functional as human doings. We do, 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 act, act, act without thought or without thought or without feeling. Sometimes we're just human doings. When Paul's prayer is that we be strengthened as human beings in our inner being. And to do that, to be strengthened, means we've got to get closer to God, that we have to have more of God in our lives to strengthen us. Uh, I, went, I heard from a nutritionist, I was learning some things from a nutritionist a couple years ago, and one of the phrases that stuck with me from that nutritionist was, eat as close to the farm as possible. Have you ever heard that? Like, you want to eat food that you can get that is as close to the farm itself as you can possibly get. So we went to the farmer's market yesterday in Magnolia, it was great, it was wonderful, I thought, wow, look at all this great local produce, right? And so we bought stuff. But I'm thinking about that, <clears throat> is that the closer you get to the actual growth of the vegetable, the, the reason is, is because you get more nutrients from what you're eating. It, it, it get, you get more nutrients into what you're eating. And actually, if you're a meat eater, they say you have to not, she was saying, this nutritionist was saying to me, look, you gotta not only look at the meat that you're eating, but you gotta look at what your meat is eating. I was like, what? What do you mean my, what my meat is eating? <laughs> and she said, well, you know, like the cows, what are your, what are the cow, you're eating beef, what's the cow eating? Because whatever nutrients the cow is getting, you're getting those nutrients. Whatever chicken you're eating, the, whatever the chickens are eating, those are the nutrients you're getting. So depending on what they're feeding, the animals that we ultimately end up on our dinner table, that matters, right? And I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty uh, not amazing, but it makes sense, doesn't it? How many people think that makes sense? And who designed things this way? Uh, let me think. Well, you know, Sunday school answer? Sunday school answer is what? God, right, all right, good. You guys are still in Sunday school, thank you. So God, right, the answer is always God or Jesus or something like that, right? So they're the Holy Spirit, right? So God is designed us this way, and I thought, wow. God has designed us spiritually this way. Not only physically, but I think we have to eat as close to God as possible, spiritually. That means we need to get as close to Christ. I think the reason that we have the canon of the New Testament, if you look at the, the formation of the canon of the New Testament, and every seminary professor right now can correct me after this, but here's the point. We got the canon because these were the people that were closest to whom? Christ. They lived Christ, they knew Christ, they walked with Christ, and then they wrote these letters, they wrote these parts of the Bible. And so because we, we acknowledge them, we canonize them because they were as close as we could get to Jesus, right? This, we're, we're, this is not processed stuff that gets frozen and shipped halfway around the world in terms of the canon, in terms of scripture. It's as close to Jesus as we can get. I think you and I too, if you come here to church and I am the only spiritual nourishment you get every week, you're in trouble. You'd, I'm actually just giving you some things that as I read God's word, but it'd be actually more nourishing for you if you read God's word yourself and study God's word yourself and take you back a few weeks. Remember we talked about CIA, Bible study. How many people remember CIA? 
contemplate the scripture, spend some time with it, meditate on it, contemplate it. I interpret it. What does this mean for, for, what does this mean? And then A, apply it. What does this mean for me? How do I apply this to my life? If you do that on a consistent basis, on a regular basis, on a disciplinary basis, you will feed yourself and you will be closer (laughs) to the farm of God, spiritually speaking, right? So that's how we get strengthened is to get closer to God because God is the one who strengthens us and changes us and molds us and shapes us. So that's Paul's first prayer request. The second prayer request Paul says is, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is my favorite part of the prayer. You know, this idea that you would be rooted and grounded, founded in what? What's the one thing we're supposed to be anchored in? What is the one thing that we're supposed to be rooted and anchored and put our foundation stone on and put our foundation, lay it on? Is it on, the, is it on righteousness? No. Is it on uh, perfection? No. Is it on holiness? <laughs> no. It's on the love of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because as he describes, he says rooted, this Greek word come from the rhizome or where we get the word rhizomes. How many, anybody here into horticulture, plants? Now we have to go to science class. Okay, sorry, we have to go to science class today. We went to seminary a little bit, learned, you get, it, you get everything here, right? It's a multi-subject. So if you get, look at the roots structure of most plants, they have something called the rhizome. The Greek word that's, the Greek word is the origin for this idea of root. And the rhizome is the part of the plant system that stores up the nutrients that then will sh- create a root and branch out a root. And some plants' roots will reach for, for 19, 20, 70 feet out and sometimes down. These rhizomes create roots that go deep and go wide. It was just Paul's describing about love. So he's saying, when you're rooted, I want your roots to go go as far down into Christ's love as it can and as far out into Christ's love as it can, right? And the other thing about rhizomes is that they not only store nutrients, but guess what happens? If there's an unfavorable condition in the plant's life, the rhizomes stay there, they stay alive, they build up nutrients, and they can survive tremendous shifts in weather. And they'll just stay there and they'll wait for the next season. And when that next season comes, they'll just shoot off some more roots, right? But they wait and they'll survive and they'll store up nutrients waiting for that moment to grow. And I think about that, that this, this idea that we're to be rooted and grounded. I got this image actually not just from science or from uh, biology, but I got it from bamboo. I... Uh, I bought a lot 10 years, uh, back in, when we, yeah, about eight years ago, we bought a lot. And uh, we had spent our 20th anniversary, we went to Hawaii, went to Maui uh, for our 20th anniversary. And we drove what, you know, I think I mentioned this before, we drove the Hana Highway. Anybody ever done that? You know, drove the Hana Highway and there's this beautiful lush forests and green and bamboo everywhere. And we thought, oh, this is, we even bought a picture of bamboo when we were there. And so we come back to buy a lot for our house and there's one third of the lot is covered in bamboo. And we just came back from Maui and we're like, oh, this is awesome. Bamboo is awesome. Look how beautiful it is. Wouldn't it be great? We have that in our backyard. This would be great. So we buy the lot. Got the house built. 
And thus began my battle with bamboo. <laughs> the thing about bamboo is it knows how to grow. It, and it's all based on roots, rhizomes. <laughs> bamboo is tremendous at being able to grow. You can cut down a stalk, it doesn't matter. It will grow right back. And I've seen bamboo roots, and I began to battle them, and I began to fight them, and I began to clear that lot of bamboo, and there were days that I almost lost my religion over the bamboo (laughs) because I'm fighting this and I'm tearing it because the only way to get rid of bamboo is to uproot it. You've got to tear the roots out. Here's what would happen. I I like dug down an 18-inch thing. I put cinder blocks down. I built a wall. I'm not talking about immigration, sorry. Where I built this wall to keep the bamboo out of the rest of my yard. And I built this wall and they went through the wall. The roots did. I couldn't see it happening. The roots just shot right through it and they kept growing about 12 feet out and all of a sudden bamboo's growing up in my perfectly green grass yard where my green grass is. And this happened all the time, every year. Over and over and over again. And I fought it but it just kept growing. I'm going to actually say this out loud. I'm going to declare victory over the bamboo today because two-thirds of it is gone. It's still there, but it's gone, at least when I left. But what I would say is this, this amazing thing that God created, when I think about Paul's language here about rooting, I think Paul's thinking about bamboo. I think Paul is saying, I want your roots to be in Christ's love. And if your roots are in Christ's love, you, it, nothing can stop you. <laughs> nothing can stop those roots from growing. When you're in the right soil, when you're in your right conditions, when you're in the love of Christ, you are gonna shoot out and it's not gonna matter what kind of walls get put up. It's not gonna matter what happened. You're gonna keep growing because you're in Christ's love and you're what? Rooted. And those roots are running deep and wide. He also uses this image of a building. The Ephesians were, I I mentioned this earlier in the beginning of the series, but the Ephesians in Ephesus was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was the temple of Artemis. It was considered along with the great pyramids to be one of the great ancient wonders of the world is this, this, this temple. And so if you think about this, this is probably the largest one of the largest structures that people in Ephesus ever saw, that the Christians in Ephesus lived under the shadow of this temple and lived under this structure. They could wake up in the morning and see this in Ephesus. Like, you know, when you wake up on a clear day and you see Rainier, and you're always reminded that Rainier is there, every day the Ephesian Christians woke up and saw this in Ephesus. It was was hard to miss. It was 420 feet long, 220 feet wide, and supported by 127 columns fit 60 feet high. This is a very large building. And I think about that. And so when Paul writes, I want you to know what? He says what? I want you to know and grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He says, I don't want you looking at the temple. (laughs) For your foundation. I don't want you to look at how big that is. I want you to see how expansive the love of Christ is in your life. I want you to see the four-dimensional work of Christ's love in you. Pay attention to that, not to the temple on the hill. 
Pay attention not what you can see with your eyes, but pay attention to what God is doing through Christ in you and what God can do in you. That's his prayer. Why is he praying this? He says it. He tells us that the reason that he's praying for strength and praying for us to be rooted in the love of Christ that even surpasses knowledge, he says this is even more important than gaining knowledge. And what are we doing today? What are are we all about today? Knowledge. More knowledge, more information. But Paul's saying, how about more love? How about more rooting? How about more grounding in this? And he says this, so that you and I will experience what? The fullness of God. The fullness of God. I think it was interesting. I thought, you know, if I were to pray a prayer, their praise, you know, I, I think, you know, I might pray, God, you know, make your people, make us more holy or make us better or make us this or that or fix us or change us, right? But Paul doesn't pray that prayer. Paul says, I pray that they would experience the fullness of God, the presence of God fully in their lives. That's his prayer. Do you ever get frustrated? What, what do you, I would say, what are you full of this week? I know I'm full of hot air, but what are you full of, right? Are you full of <coughs> disappointment, frustration, bitterness, anger? What are you full of? Joy, peace, hope? Paul's prayer is that you would be full of the fullness of God. Because Paul knows that when you and I experience the fullness of God, our lives will change. Our behavior will change. Our beliefs will change. Our thoughts will change. Our emotions will change. All these things will change as a result of the presence of God. And that's why he ends with this doxology. This prayer is with this doxology where he prays this and he ends his prayer, which is our memory verse for this week. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we can ask, imagine. Notice this again, what is he saying again? According to his power that is at work, where? Within us within us, in our inner being, in our spiritual lives, that that's where the fullness of God works fully, immeasurably more. I think about that, how much we need that. We need that God who can do immeasurably more even when we're frustrated, disappointed, hard times, unfavorable conditions. I read many years ago about a, uh, pastor. Uh, we had a friend when I was uh, in seminary doing my doctoral work. I had a friend who was from China. He was from an underground seminary in China. And he would explain to me the condition. I didn't understand all the conditions uh, towards Christians in China. But from a uh, pastor, there was a pastor. His name was Pastor Chen. Pastor Chen from, 19, uh, from 1960 to 1978 was in a a prison camp in China because he was a Christian. So what they did was if you were a Christian and had this faith and you were a pastor, they would put you into a camp to try and get you to reform you, to get you to change your ways, right? To, to not be a Christian anymore. So there was re-education. So they put them in these labor camp, put Pastor Chen in a labor camp. And they kept asking him to renounce his faith and he wouldn't renounce it. He said, well, you can leave the camp whenever you're ready to renounce your faith. 
and he wouldn't do it. And uh, so they, for six of those years, he was put in a place in the prison. His job was to go get up in the, at night and work all night cleaning out what were called the night soil pits, which was basically the latrine for the camp. And his job was to go every night, seven days a week for six years, and go wade into that and clean it out every night, all the human excrement and waste. Most people didn't, couldn't handle it and ended up with diseases and died, but he did this for six years. And the authorities would come to him and say, Pastor Chen, if you would just renounce your faith, this could all go away. Now, how tempting would that be? But you know what Pastor Chen did? He never renounced his faith. He never gave it up. But you know what he did when he was in the working at night? He sang hymns. He recited scripture. He memorized scripture and he recited it to himself as he worked. And people noticed there was something different about Pastor Chen. Even though he was doing this awful job every night and being forced into this labor, he would go into this, he called it actually, you know what he called the night soil pits? his garden, right? And he sang a hymn that some of you know from a long time ago called In the Garden. And one of the phrases in that hymn is, he walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way, right? And the joy we share as we tarry there. (laughs) What an image. What an image of Pastor Chen singing hymns in the night soil pits, in the latrine of a prison camp. Here's how he reflected on it. He said this. He said, it was not because I was strong, get that, but because he was with me, even as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Fullness of God. Strengthened in his inner being. Rooted and grounded in love of Jesus Christ. That's why he could do it. That's part of the reason he survived. I would say prayer does matter. I would say prayer does work. I would say praise works, hymns work, scripture memorization works, because it all works to help us experience the fullness of God no matter what life throws at us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are with us. You go before us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us because you're with us, God. It doesn't mean you'll change the external circumstances of our lives, but it does mean that you will strengthen us in our inner being. It does mean that you will help root us and ground us in your love and grace that no matter what we face in life, you will make us stronger not because of our own strength or our own ability or our own power, but because of the power of Christ at work within us who can do, the one who can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. And we know this, God, because you sent your son into the world who did immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine when he gave his life for us on a cross. He sacrificed everything he had for us. He did what no one else could do or was willing to do. And God, we thank you for the life of Christ and for the power that he bestows and the strength that he gives us in his love and in his grace. And we come to this table of love and grace today, we are reminded of the power of the resurrection and the power of renewal and the power of forgiveness in our lives and change that happens from the inside out as we come to this table today.
And we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ, reminding us of the power in Christ that we all have access to, the grace that we all have access to in Christ. And so we come to this table today and we invite your Holy Spirit to work in our lives today as we come together. And we pray together today that great prayer that you've taught all your followers to pray throughout the centuries. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the power and the glory forever. Amen.